The latest update on Errol Spence is great news. PBC put out this tweet and they have revealed that Spence is awake and responding and his condition is stable. And miraculously, they say he did not sustain any broken bones, but just has some facial, facial lacerations, excuse me. So Errol Spence, if these reports are accurate, is an extremely lucky young man. Because if you saw the footage of that crash, I have to imagine that most people wouldn't have even come out of that alive, much less with no broken bones. So absolutely miraculous that he has survived so intact. And it's also, of course, extremely fortunate that there was nobody else hurt uh, <clears throat> as a result of this crash. Because according to the local media there in Dallas, they say that uh, police say he was speeding. So thankfully he didn't hit anybody. Thankfully he didn't do himself any serious damage, it would seem. And he is expected to make a full recovery. Hopefully that means a full recovery, which involves him stepping back into a boxing ring. Now, of course, there's going to be a lot of speculation. Will he ever be the same after this? There's bound to be some kind of tissue damage, whether he's got whiplash or sprains here and there. <clears throat> you know, maybe some muscle damage, etc. And we've seen recently with Keith Thurman, a lot of people say he hasn't been the same since his uh, prolonged period of injuries and what have you. So we'll see what happens here with Errol Spence. But again, the great news is, According to PBC, there's no serious life-threatening injuries and he's expected to make a full recovery. With that being said, I have to imagine the police will be wanting to look at his blood work because, again, they say he was speeding. They want to, I'm sure, find out whether he was under the influence of anything. And, you know, potentially there could be some kind of charges brought against Spence here by the police. So we'll see what goes on with that. I have been saying for well over a year now that I don't like the direction in which Errol Spence is going in, in terms of his personal life and in terms of his mindset. To me, he's been going, he, he's been drifting off the rails for quite some time. We've seen him turn up at press conferences looking overweight drinking, hanging around with people like Adrian Broner, you know, so on and so forth. And if it turns out that, I mean, he apparently was in a nightclub before this uh, crash took place. And if it turns out he was drinking, well, there again, it's evidence of him drifting off the rails. I'm not saying he's the most wild and crazy fighter out there. There have been far more wild and crazy fighters in their personal lives and Errol Spence. But nonetheless, nothing good. If you're a professional athlete like Spence, nothing good is going to come out of you hanging around in nightclubs, drinking, blowing up in weight. Nothing good is going to come from that. And this right here, this brush with death that Errol Spence has had might serve as the wake-up call that he actually needed. Because he was talking after the Sean Porter fight about not blowing up in weight anymore, but yet he was still in the club. He was still on the road, 
without a seatbelt speeding. So it wasn't enough of a wake-up call what happened to him against Sean Porter. Maybe this was the wake-up call that he needed. And again, thankfully, he apparently is not seriously injured and nobody else is because, I mean, the way that car came tumbling down the street, if somebody had been in the way, if there had been another car involved in that, it could have been horrific. So a miraculous escape for Spence and a miraculous escape for everybody else in the vicinity. So great news, but hopefully a lesson learned, not only for Spence, but also for other people out there. Some of you guys. Because as I mentioned in a previous video, people die on the roads every day. I'm sure most of you know people that have been involved in serious accidents. Some accidents where people have lost their lives. And these things are usually avoidable. So let's take care out there, people. You know, life is precious. Let's not play with it. So let me know what you guys think in the comments below. It's happening I'm out. Lennox Lewis and Vladimir Klitschko have been going back and forth on Twitter. Lewis put out this tweet saying that he is dead against professional boxers competing in the Olympics. But Vladimir was quick to respond by saying, nonsense. As a matter of fact, all the pros lost in the Rio Olympics. A professional fighter is in a clear disadvantage if he fights in an amateur ring and under amateur rules. I've practically spent hundreds of rounds sparring with amateurs. I know what I'm talking about. So a pretty strong response from Klitschko. Lewis came back at him and said, there are levels to this. Are you trying to tell me that at your physical peak as a pro, you'll be disadvantaged stepping into the ring for three rounds against an amateur fighter from a third world country who doesn't have the same training resources as you? I know I wouldn't be. And, you know, they continue to go back and forth. What's going on here? Is it just a case of a difference of opinion or is there something deeper? Well, if we go back a few years, Vladimir Klitschko himself expressed interest in going back into the Olympics and trying to win a gold medal again. This article was from several years ago, I think 2016. And Klitschko was talking about his desire to uh, win another Olympic gold medal. And this wasn't the first time that he'd mentioned this. He'd talked about it previously. So it had been a long ambition of his. And therefore, he clearly didn't have any problem with professionals fighting in the Olympics. As I've spoken about in uh, recent videos with regards to Golovkin and so on and so forth, among Eastern Europeans, they hold your amateur record and your Olympic pedigree in far higher regard than they tend to in the US, the UK, etc. As an Eastern European person said in one of the comments, in the comment section of one of my videos, he said that for a lot of Eastern European fighters, the pinnacle of their career as a boxer is winning Olympic gold. Their professional career after that is just the icing on the cake with a cherry on top. But the, the main achievement is winning that Olympic gold. You know, Vladimir Klitschko wanted to relive that. So I think there's an element of Klitschko defending his own position because, as I say, historically, he has expressed interest in fighting in the Olympics again. But I also wonder whether, because, you know, to, to respond by saying nonsense is a pretty sharp response by Klitschko, right? I also wonder whether he's kind of, you know, 
taking a having a dig at Lennox because Lennox has been taking shots at AJ for so long. And AJ has revealed recently that the one guy in boxing who regularly calls him and reaches out to offer him advice and support and what have you is Klitschko. Not Lennox Lewis, but Klitschko in terms of calling him behind the scenes and regularly talking to him. And maybe Klitschko feels like Lennox was, you know, out of line in the way that he's been going at AJ over the past, you know, couple years, 18 months. So maybe that's going on as well. Maybe it's <laughs> Klitschko covertly as part of Team AJ striking back at Lennox <clears throat> because very few people actually do challenge Lennox and anything. But Klitschko certainly is in a position to do so because he achieved, uh, you know, I don't want to say he achieved as much as Lennox. He achieved a similar amount. He was never undisputed, obviously, but he had a longer title reign and, you know, he did his thing. So yeah, interesting back and forth between the two of them. I can't imagine Lewis will want to settle it in the ring. <laughs> uh, Vladimir Klitschko is far closer to his, you know, fighting best than Lennox Lewis is. He retired fairly recently, Vladimir Klitschko. Lennox Lewis retired a very, very long time ago. So I'm sure Lewis don't want that smoke at this point. But let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. Is this just a difference of opinion or has Klitschko taken this personally because of what he's previously expressed and potentially because he's secretly Team AJ? Let me know, people. It's happening. I'm out. Dylan White recently posted this picture and this tweet on his Twitter account. It says here, back to the grind. It's time to bring the pain again. Let's go, baby. T hashtag Team Body Snatcher. News coming soon. Number one, WBC, etc., etc. Is this indicative of a resolution to Dylan White's situation. Let's just call it that. I certainly hope so. The fans have been calling for answers. Eddie Hearn says he's sick of having to answer questions about this when he isn't uh, somebody in the know that this is a situation between uh, Dylan, UCAD, etc., and the, the British board, and he's not privy to all the conversations. So yeah, is there a resolution coming soon? And as Eddie Hearn has said time and time again, Dylan White is free to fight. He is cleared to fight. He apparently hasn't been banned. Now you see, you'll see people, excuse me, you'll see people responding to Dylan's tweet here. <laughs> I have to laugh at that. You'll see people responding to Dylan's tweet here saying, uh, has he served his ban? You know, maybe he's secretly served a ban. And now that he's, his secret ban is up, He's taken back to the ring. <clears throat> Other people are pointing out, well, look, it hasn't been six months. You know, surely if he was going to get a ban, it would be six months minimum. But actually, Dylan White failed a PED test for an over-the-counter supplement several years ago. Some of you may remember. And he was banned for two years. If you are, you know, caught using PEDs again after serving that kind of ban... The next ban is something like eight years, I believe. So surely if Dylan White had been on a ban, it wouldn't have been six months. So I have to assume at the moment, again, maybe I'm wrong. We'll hopefully find out uh, in due course. But I have to assume at the moment that Dylan White hasn't been on a ban and isn't on a ban. But maybe we'll get a resolution to this situation before long. And 
even if we don't get a resolution to the situation, maybe Dylan White intends to fight again anyway. Maybe he's looking to get out on one of Matchroom shows in the US or maybe on the Saudi card. Dylan White's reputation among fans has taken a knock here. Let's be real. Will Dylan White be able to fill out the O2 again? He didn't fill it out for the Rivas fight. There was far less people in attendance for Dylan White Rivas than there was for Dylan White versus Chisora, Dylan White versus Parker. Far better attendance for those fights. And what was it, a week or so after White Rivas, we had Lomachenko Campbell and that packed out the O2. So Dylan White's popularity is not where it once was at this point. And unless there is some kind of clear resolution, some kind of, you know, out in the open, completely transparent, uh, you know, uh, statement or whatever from UCAD and the British board, Dylan White, etc., then this, you know, doubt over Dylan White is going to continue to linger on. And that will hurt his popularity in my view so we'll see where this goes if of course he was able to get that wbc mandatory shot against wilder and somehow beat wilder then you'd probably see all forgiven <laughs> you know boxing fans have got short memories if you can come along and be successful especially if it's a big upset then i think a lot of the stuff in the past will probably be uh conveniently swept under the rug but we'll see i personally look forward to seeing dylan white back in the ring again i've been very consistent on this irrespective of what dylan white has or hasn't done i like him as a fighter same way i like luis ortiz as a fighter i like alexander povetkin as a fighter i am conflicted when it comes to the issue of peds in boxing i can't lie about that i'm conflicted because there are certain fighters who I just love watching. You know? So anyway, let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. It's happening, I'm out. What's the um, situation with the trainer? What, what's the training situation? Who's going to do the corner and stuff like that? We're only two weeks out now. What can you tell us about that? Um... To be honest with you, I'm doing my own corner. You know, I David has been saying we have to get a coach. I'm like, no, I don't want a coach. Again, I've been boxing for years. I know how to train myself and stuff like that. Just write the program and I'll do it myself. That's all we're doing ourselves right now. Even on fight night? Even on fight night, yeah. Derek, do you feel like you may have had a bit of a touch in the fact that you've still got a big fight, but you've perhaps got a fight that is easier than Joseph Parker? <sighs> Mate, I just, everybody else. Listen, man, there's nothing easy in the heavyweight game, bro. Let's all be honest. You know, there's nothing easy in the heavyweight game. You know, a guy can come in there, he hasn't boxed for two years, and then suddenly, wallop, wham, it's a knockout. It's a hard game, you know. Uh, David Price is a big guy from up north, so it's going to be a good fight. This is going to be your sixth fight in a row at the O2. It must feel like your second home in there now. Oh, the O2, the O2 is a home, home from home, man. I love the O2s nearby. I get the train there, walk in there, get, in the, get in my dressing room, you know, ready to rock and roll. You know, home of boxing, you know. So I'm just, I'm just chuffed about boxing at the O2 again. Where were you when you first found out about the news about Joseph Parker? Um, where was I? Uh, I just finished training. I just finished sparring. 
one day he would call me and he goes, oh, I want to talk to you. And like, every time you want to talk to me, it's either bad news or good news. So give me the bad news first. And he goes, oh, he's pulled out. I'm like, so how long you know him for? He goes, I know him for about three days. <laughs> I was like, great. <laughs> That's the manager you need, though. <laughs> Keeps all the good secrets to himself. So well, he told me anyway, because I didn't want to disrupt your training first floors. I know he won't disrupt me. And that was, it's boxing, man. It has happened before. So your initial response was just, right, okay, that's fine. Who's next? Yeah, I was like, we're going to go. Because you have to understand, you know, when, when fighters pull out, you know, people spend, I spend money, you know, training camp and this and that and that and that. So when somebody pulls out, that's money down the line, even for himself. So, um, you know, I'm just happy that somebody else has stepped into rock and roll. You've almost seen a rejuvenated confidence in David Price since that Dave Allen fight. Are you expecting the best version of him in this fight? Yeah, I'm expecting the baddest David Price in this fight, man. He's going to be on it. Do you think this is a more dangerous fight than the Parker fight? Every fight is dangerous, bro. You know, every fight is dangerous. There's nothing. Every fight you take is dangerous. That's all I can say. Derek, how much do you know about this Joe Joyce offer? Frank you know what, yeah, especially we've got the cameras right now, yeah, I was gonna, I'm just going to put this out there. Frank Warren needs to stop saying my name. That's what I'm saying. He carried on saying my name. I'm going to be very upset with him now. He needs to stop saying my name. He's a dinosaur in the young man's game. You know, there's young promoters out there. Frank Warren needs to leave the, the promotion now to his kids. You know, his son George is a good promoter. He should just let George promote. Frank Warren, you need to retire. Which camera is it? Frank Warren, you need to retire and go hang out with your grandkids. The boxing game is not yours anymore. Yeah, so don't ever, ever say my name anymore. That's it. Is it George Joyce fight still something you're interested in? I don't need to fight George Joyce. What am I fighting George Joyce for? I told him an offer already. If they go come back with that offer. Listen, when did Frank Warren ever put a bigger show? The last big show Frank Warren put on was with me. And that was it. That's it. That is it. He hasn't put any big show on, and that's it. Another person that um, was interested to fight you was actually Shannon Briggs. I spoke to him at the KSI Logan Paul press conference. Um, he said, obviously, with Eddie putting that tweet out, he was, he was very interested. But he also labelled you a journeyman due to your record. What, what's your thoughts on that? Listen, if I want a hype man, I'll get Shannon Briggs. <laughs> Do you understand? He called me a journeyman. <laughs> He's a hype man. What's better, journeyman or a hype man? <laughs> you know, he's a hype man for KSA, he's a hype man for AJ, he's a hype man for anybody. Let's go what? Let's go what? Let's go fool. He's the guy has got one eyeglass guy, man. He's a fool, man. Derek, you mentioned you wanted to fight Jarrell Miller. Is that a fight you're looking out for 2020, perhaps? Yeah. Jarrell Miller's next. 100%. With the belts possibly going to become fragmented, Joshua's belts, um, how simple well, is the route from here to a world title belt? Listen, how simple is like... The fight is on him and Ruiz, Josh and him and Ruiz. It's going to be a good fight in Saudi Arabia. Uh, you know, what happens after that, you never know. You never know. Because in this boxing game, it's about who pays who more, the most money. And that's it. Derek, what do you make of Tyson Fury in the WWE? You seem like somebody yourself who might take a turn to that when your boxing career is finished. Mm, WWE, uh, you know, uh, give a shout out to Tyson Fury and his management team. You know, they really know how to pushing him out there in America. You know, Tyson Fury is becoming an American household name. So they know exactly what they're doing, what market they're pushing in. And he's doing right. That's it. You know, he's got this big fight with Deontay Wilder coming up. So they're trying to get everybody else backing up Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. So that's good for them.
said that he's got a verbal agreement with you over a potential third fight. Yeah, man, you know, you know, see, this is what I like about Tyson, because he goes, we have to do one more fight. And I was like, yeah, when we're ready, we do it. And that's it. Don't have to be a contract, don't have to be nothing. Usyk's making his heavyweight debut tomorrow night against Tim Witherspoon, obviously a last-minute replacement. How do you see that fight playing out? Well, Usyk's going to win it, you know, by boxing, but I don't think he's going to knock the guy out. He's going to win it by boxing and dancing, you know, Usyk and other guys, they like to juggle balls and dance, so good luck to them. How, how do you see him performing at the top level? Uh, at uh, this, this, this is a heavyweight game. He's, this is a, you know, I'm, why did he not fight uh, Takam? You know, surprised he didn't want to fight Takam. Why not? You know, you got laid out. But who knows, maybe I might be looking at that fight too. How would a fight between you and uh, Usyk go, in your opinion? Don't know, might be juggling balls. <laughs> Derek, you put on a bit of a show at the press conference in October the 20, for the October the 26th day. Um, what sort of discussions have there been between you and Eddie, or perhaps even you and Kala, since then? Because Eddie no. said he sold a thousand tickets since the announcement of you and Bryce, so you're obviously possibly the biggest attraction on the card. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, you know, it's a show. It's it's about performing, putting up a great show. Um, we don't know yet. We'll see anyway. So discussion we're going to have. On the next press day, we have. We mentioned Alexander Usyk. Obviously, he was supposed to be fighting Tyron Spong. Tyron Spong failed a drugs test. David mentioned it in the uh, press roundtable about how rife it is in the sport. What are your comments on Spong failing the test and the state of drugs in boxing at the minute? You know, I don't know why people have to take drugs when you're fighting somebody else, man. You're fighting another man. Why do you need to take drugs? Boxing is already a harder sport without taking drugs. So I don't know, man, you know, it's, people are just getting carried away, man, you know, it's just difficult. You mentioned Jarrell Miller as a possible future opponent. Would you have any reservations over that, given his history? Yeah, if I Miller, he has to be tested for every drug. Derek, just the last one there. I think you need to leave that back for your training. But your fans will be turning out in their thousands. What can they expect to see from you on October 26th? Oh, great fight. Don't miss it. Entering on Skybox office. Ching, ching. <laughs>
To be honest with you, I'm doing my own corner. You know, I David has been saying you have to get a coach. I'm like, no, I don't want a coach. Again, I've been boxing for years. I know how to train myself and stuff like that. Just write the program and I'll do it myself. Just all we're doing ourselves right now. Even on fight night? Even on fight night, yeah. Derek, do you feel like you may have had a bit of a touch in the fact that you've still got a big fight, but you've perhaps got a fight that is easier than Joseph Parker? <sighs> Mate, I just, everybody ever... Listen, man, there's nothing easy in the heavyweight game, bro. Let's all be honest. You know, there's nothing easy in the heavyweight game. You know, a guy can come in there, he hasn't boxed for two years, and then suddenly, well, wham, it's a knockout. It's a hard game, you know. Uh, David Price is a big guy, he's from up north, so it's going to be a good fight. Yeah, this is going to be your sixth fight in a row at the O2. It must feel like your second home in there now. No, the O2, the O2 is a home, home from home, man. I love the O2s nearby. Get the train there, walk in there, get get my dressing room in, and already rock and roll. You know, home of boxing. You know, so I'm just I'm just chuffed about boxing at the O2 again. Where were you when you first found out about the news about Joseph Parker? Um, where was I? Uh, I just finished training. I just finished sparring, <laughs> and David called me. He goes, oh, I want to talk to you. Like every time you want to talk to me, it's either bad news or good news. So give me the bad news first. And he goes, oh, he's pulled out. I was like, so how long you know him for? Because I know him for about three days. <laughs> I was like, great. <laughs> That's the manager you need, don't you? <laughs> Keeps all the good secrets to himself. So well, he told me, anyway, because I didn't want to disrupt your training first floor. I know like, he won't disrupt me. And I was, it's boxing, man. You know, it's happened before. So your initial response was just, right, OK, that's fine. Who's next? Yeah. I was like, we're going to go. Because you have to understand, uh, you know, when, when fighters pull out, you know, people spend, I spend money, you know, training camp and this and that and that and that. So when somebody pulls out, that's money down the line, even for himself. So, um, you know, I'm just happy that somebody else has stepped into rock and roll. You've almost seen a rejuvenated confidence in David Price since that David Allen fight. Are you expecting the best version of him in this fight? Yeah, I'm expecting the baddest David Price in this fight, man. He's going to be on it. Do you mean this is a more dangerous fight than a Parker fight? Every fight is dangerous, bro. You know, every fight is dangerous. There's nothing. Every fight you take is dangerous. That's all I can say. Derek, how much do you know about this Joe Joyce offer? That Frank Warren said. You know what, yeah, especially we've got the cameras right now, yeah, I'm just going to put this out there. Frank Warren needs to stop saying my name. That's what I'm saying. You carry on saying my name, I'm going to be very upset with him. Like, he needs to stop saying my name. He's a dinosaur in the young man's game. You know, there's young promoters out there. Frank Warren needs to leave the, pop, the promotion now to his kids. You know, his son George is a good promoter. He should just let George promote. Frank Warren, you need to retire. Which camera is it? Frank Warren, you need to retire and go hang out with your grandkids. The boxing game is not yours anymore. Yeah, so don't ever, ever say my name anymore. Interested in? I don't need to fight George Joyce. What am I fighting George Joyce for? I told him an offer already. If they go come back with that offer. Listen, when did Frank Warren ever put a bigger show? The last big show Frank Warren put on was with me. And that was it. That's it. That is it. He hasn't put any big show on, and that's it. Another person that um, was interested to fight you was actually Shannon Briggs. I spoke to him at the KSI Logan Paul press conference. Um, he said, obviously, with Eddie putting that tweet out, he was, he was very interested. But he also labelled you a journeyman due to your record. What are you, what's your thoughts on that? Listen, if I want a hype man, I'll get Shannon Briggs. <laughs> Do you understand? He called me a journeyman. <laughs> He's a hype man. What's better, journeyman or a hype man? 
<laughs> you know, he's a hype man for KSA, he's a hype man for AJ, he's a hype man for anybody. Let's go what? Let's go up. Let's go fool. He's the guy's got one eyeglass guy, man. He's a fool, man. Derek, you mentioned you wanted to fight Gerald Miller. Is that a fight you're looking at for 2020, perhaps? Yeah, Gerald Miller's next. 100%. With the belts possibly going to become fragmented, Joshua's belts, um, how simple is the route from here to a world title belt? Listen, how simple is like the fight is on him and Ruiz, Josh and him and Ruiz. It's going to be a good fight in Saudi Arabia. Uh, you know, what happens after that, you never know. You never know. Because in this boxing game, it's about who pays who more the most money. And that's it. Derek, would you make a Tyson Fury in the WWE? You seem like somebody yourself who might take a turn to that when your boxing career's finished. Mm, WWE, uh, you know, well, give a shout out to Tyson Fury and his management team. You know, they really know how to pushing him out there in America. You know, Tyson Fury is becoming an American household name. So they know exactly what they're doing, what market they're pushing in. And he's doing it right. That's it. You know, he's got this big fight with Deontay Wilder coming up. So they're trying to get everybody else backing up. Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder, so that's good for them. You said that he's got a verbal agreement with you over a potential third fight. Yeah, man, you know, you know, see, this is what I like about Tyson, because he goes, we have to do one more fight, and I was like, yeah, when we're ready, we do it. And that's it. Don't have to be a contract, don't have to be nothing. Usyk's making his heavyweight debut tomorrow night against Tim Witherspoon, obviously a last-minute replacement. How do you see that fight playing out? Usyk's going to win it, you know, by boxing, but I don't think he's going to knock the guy out. He's going to win it by boxing and dancing, you know, music and other guys, they like to juggle balls and dance, so good luck to them. How, how do you see him performing at the top level? Uh, at uh, this, this, this is a heavyweight game, He's, this is a, you know, I'm, why did he not fight uh, Takam? You know, surprised he didn't want to fight Takam, why not? You know, you got laid out, but who knows, maybe I might be looking at that fight too. How would a fight between you and Usyk uh, go, in your opinion? Don't know, might be juggling balls. Derek, you put on a bit of a show at the press conference on October the 20th, October 26th day. Um, what sort of discussions have there been between you and Eddie, or perhaps even you and Kala, since then? Because Eddie no. said he sold a thousand tickets since the announcement of you and Price, so you're obviously possibly the biggest attraction on the card. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, you know, it's a show. To, it's it's about performing, putting up a great show. Um, we don't know yet. We'll see anyway. It's a discussion we're going to have. On the next press day we have. We mentioned Alexander Usyk, obviously he was supposed to be fighting Tyron Spong, Tyron Spong failed a drugs test, David mentioned it in the uh, press roundtable about how rife it is in the sport, what were your comments on Spong failing the test and the state of drugs in boxing at the minute? You know, I don't know why people have to take drugs when you're fighting somebody else man, you're fighting another man, why do you need to take drugs? Boxing is already a harder sport without taking drugs. So I don't know, man, you know, it's, people are just getting carried away, man, you know, it's just difficult. You mentioned Jarrell Miller as a possible future opponent. Would you have any reservations over that, given his history? Mm, yeah, if I fight Jarrell Miller, he has to be tested for every drug. Derek, just the last one now, I think you need to leave now, back for your training, but your fans will be turning out in their thousands. What can they expect to see from you on October 26th? Oh, great fight. Don't miss it, entering on Skybox office. Ching ching. <laughs> Thanks, guys.
dad's not a fan of tattoos. How did you come about getting your first one? Did you have to hide it from him at all? My mama took me, actually. My mama took me, because I got her name. I, my first tattoo was her name, just crossed with her name in it. And she took me, it was like since I was six, it was my, on my 16th birthday. And I went and she, she was like, yeah, you can get one. Just like, get my name. I was like, shit, all right. And I just wanted a tattoo so bad. And then I got that. And then after that, like, if you don't, I don't know if you have tattoos or not, but they're addicting, they're real addicting. So you just keep getting them over and over. You keep, you want more and more and more stuff. So then after that, I went here and then I went and I just, I just, history, you know, just kept going with them. I just always liked them. Um, probably since I was like a teenager, probably even before that. Um, it wasn't, yeah, it was like I was playing. It was just something that I just, you know, it was just like something that I wanted. Like I was saying off camera, I just, like I actually had got like a homemade one before that, like two, probably two years earlier than that. Like one of my partners, like he, like you took an eraser and just scrubbed. I put an aura in my arm. And at the, like looking at, looking back now, it's like real stupid. But that's why it's covered up. Of course, it's covered up now. But yeah, um, I always wanted them. I always liked them. So is that the, the most painful tattoo you've ever had? No, the most painful one I got is the one on my side. Um, yeah, this one, this is um, supposed to be Hurricane Katrina. Actually, I got it done in Brazil. I went to Rio for like three weeks or something like that. So I got this, I got that and this one on my wrist right here together. Um, but this was like, it, it was probably like, I think like four or five hours of straight pain, just straight pain, but I just, there was just something that I wanted, and I, I mean, I just got it. And it was it was supposed to be some like symbolizing like Hurricane Katrina. It's it's like a tornado, but it's supposed to be a hurricane, basically. And it's like a woman face inside of like a tornado, so it's supposed to symbolize like Hurricane Katrina. There'll be a lot of people in this country. They go on holidays and they come back with tattoos that they instantly regret. I'm assuming that isn't one you regret. I got some. I got some I regret. Not this one. I got some. I not not necessarily that I regret, but um, probably ones that I would not saying I, I would regret them. I got some stuff on my legs too, and I think that I want my legs clear. If I can, if I can have my option again, I'll, I'll just make my legs clear. Nothing on my legs. I never want nothing on my back, and I don't have nothing on my back and um, my legs too. I, I'd rather have my legs clear, but it's done, so I, I don't think I'm going to erase them or nothing like that. I got the, um, the, the Hurricane Katrina, and I got this in Brazil, and it, it say, um, Janeta no compra felicidade, and that mean like money can't buy happiness, money don't buy happiness. Not all the way. It's make it happy. Definitely make it happy, but um, just not all the way. So, is that something you got done before you had money or after you had some money? This was depends on what type of money you're talking about. <laughs> so this was um, I had a little when I got this. I had you know I had a little money, not the money I got right now, but I had you know I had a little money and stuff like that when I got this. So of course you know things you know it always changed. But I didn't when I got this done. I didn't have what I have now for sure. So but. It's still, you know, it still is true, and it's like a, um, it's like a quote too, basically. You know, everybody say money can't buy happiness, and it's true. You've got um, several different names on different parts of your bodies. Can you kind of talk us through that? And who, um, who are the I people? Got my, I got oh, my, basically my whole family. Um, uh, yeah, I got my my mama, of course, right here. My sister, my daddy. Um, I got Hakel name, my wife. Um, Ray name, my son, and then Khaleesi's name, my daughter. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty full of names. Even though your dad doesn't like tattoos, does he like that one? Or? I don't know. You got to ask him. Do you like this tattoo? I don't like any tattoos. He don't like no tattoos. No, he don't like tattoos. <laughs> Talk us through the chest tattoo. How did it start? How did it develop? And why mm -hmm. is that such an important symbol for you? 
Um, it just so the first one I got, so like I said, I got this one when I was 16, my first one. Then I got this one when I was 17 on my 17th birthday. That's when um, I actually moved to Houston and I got this done in Houston. It at first it just said only New Orleans, and then after that, of course, I kept adding. So then I got the date of Hurricane Katrina um, on top of that. And then after that, um, probably like two years ago, that's when I got everything. I just got the Superdome, the um, the like the downtown, the skyline of downtown New Orleans, and then I got the Wubu on you know all that stuff. So that was yeah, it, that took about probably like same thing like five six hours of just straight straight pain. And um, I had I had Ray name in it at first, and his name kind of got covered. You can still see it, but it's kind of you know it kind of got in the mix of all the other stuff. So. It was just, it basically just symbolized, symbolized my city, symbolized New Orleans. My, my tattoo artist out there, I just told him, fix up my New Orleans. I said, look, just fix this up. And he just, he just went with it. And um, I, I didn't, I really didn't even plan on to doing all this stuff, but he just kind of just went, same thing with my arm. Um, I just said, fix up my gloves. And he just put all kinds of stuff on it um, or whatever. But it was for me, like, I just wanted to just get my New Orleans fixed up and probably put, you know, maybe like the Superdome and the skyline over, you know, under New Orleans, but he kind of just went with his move and he just, you know, he put the Rougarou and all that stuff. And I'm, I mean, now nah, I'm glad I got it because I like it. I like how, it, I actually like how it looks too. The Rougarou is, is like a, a, a Louisiana Cajun type of swamp monster. It's like, um, like you say, the boogeyman, basically like a lot of people, They'll tell their kids, like, the boogeyman will get you. If you don't do this, you don't go to sleep, don't brush your teeth or whatever, eat too much candy, whatever you want to say to your kids. But that's kind of what, like, in, in Louisiana, what the, the parents will tell, like, their kids. Like, not the boogeyman, but the Rougarou will get you. Now, I had some cousins, they say they seen it. I don't know if that's true or not. i never seen the Rougarou. All I know is that I'm the Rougarou right now. The tattoos is... It's, I think it's for me, but it's for other people now to see, you know, just like you, you know, people interested in, you know, my story and all that stuff. But of course, like, um, it's not nothing like to what I, I like go in the mirror and I just look at it and stare at my tattoos. It's like I have them and it's now it's more for other people. But of course, that always, that memory will always be with me, you know, like the Hurricane Katrina and, you know, all that type of, all that, the storm and all that stuff, that always is like, you know, it's just kind of just there and it's a part of my, you know, part of my history, part of my past. But for me, like getting them is just not nothing that I just, that I plan on doing. It's just like, I'll just, out the blue, I'll do them because I have a tattoo artist in New Orleans. And so every time I go to New Orleans, like I'll hit them up and we'll just go, me and all my friends and everybody kind of just get stuff. And then, um, you know, I just maybe get something. Sometimes I don't, sometimes I do. So, um, like I said, last time we all went and I just got Khaleesi name. I was about to get, I was about, actually about to finish all the whole Rougarou thing, I was about to get all, all that more stuff added, but um, I just didn't feel like going through that pain. So I was like, I don't know, I, get, I think when you get older, you don't want to go through as much pain, especially if you don't need to do it. So um, that's why I kind of, I chilled out because tattoos hurt a lot. So.